Welcome to another episode of Books That Make Us Better. We just all established we are here to tell the truth, the whole truth, <laughs> and nothing but the truth. So help us God. So help us God about the green light book. <laughs> help. <laughs> this, we've made it to the Australia series, uh, the Australia part of the book, which is, Jesse, are you listening to the audiobook? Yeah, well, I have both. I like. Oh, she's got li- like the hard back. Ca- yeah, copy. I got the actual. Wait, what is it? I don't know what I'm doing. Yes, the actual hard copy. But I have been tuning into the audio because everybody was so jazzed about Matthew McConaughey's voice, which I think is not even that good. And <laughs> his like maniacal laugh when he reads is so forced and like not authentic and genuine that it like <laughs> makes me mad. Like after he reads something and he's like, oh. you know, I'm happy that I'm not listening now. <laughs> no, I'm like, that's bull. You're like, like, I get that when you told this story genuinely to someone, you probably laughed. But now that you're telling this story as a recording, your laugh sounds ridiculous. So just stop. <laughs> Listen, if I have to hear him say duration <laughs> one, one more time, time during the Australia story, like the portion of this book, I'll lose myself. Yes. I, yes. I did read that in the most annoying way possible in my head. Oh, he Thank says you. it the most annoying way possible. His Australian accent is not bad. I'll give him credit for that. Like it's not. It it I will take it as a pass. But yes, duration is definitely something that I'm overhearing. No, no. Duration. <laughs> Matthew. 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 <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, I live with an accent all day long, so it's these types of things don't really intrigue me, but is it, can you do an impression of how Michael says your name? Is it like that? Mm, no, I don't even know. I guess I don't notice it anymore. Is oh. he there? Just have him no, call your name. I was gonna like he isn't. He went to the grocery store, so mm. yeah, yeah. All right. Well, anyway, okay. Here Should we, are. we do it? <laughs> let's let's dive in. Megan, Lydia, you- Lydia has nothing to say. Yeah, <laughs> I read it. I don't listen to it, so Same. I don't have I- anything to add to him. But I now I kind of want to listen to Keenan's Audible version of do it. it. I know. See I need to think. hear that. I need to hear the duration. Oh, I'll send you guys. Do I feel like we can get a? I feel like we can get a sound clip of it. hundred percent, we can. <laughs> All uh, right, Megan, are you are you yeah, starting today? I'm ready. Let's yeah, let's just break into it. We believe the power to change lives is within ourselves. We believe with the right attitude, anything can be accomplished. We believe the amount of knowledge and insight available is limitless. But we don't think life should be taken too seriously. Books that make us better. An alpha media podcast. We're starting the Australia part. So this is, um, we're breaking in and this is like... Matthew McConaughey is doing the standard for privileged humans. Um, take a break gap year between high school and college. <clears throat> and so he is, he's like trying to figure out what to do. His mom suggests, hey, you like traveling. Why don't you become an exchange student? And he's like, oh, yeah, cool. Let's do it. So like their local Rotary Club in Texas evidently just like sends them. I didn't I had no idea, to be frank, because I have accepted an exchange student, but I have not been one. And so I I don't know. Is that how it always is? Rotary Club sends you? I, I don't know. I thought it was the school system. I digress. Anyway, so he has the option between Sweden and Australia. And of course, he's like, uh, English speaking, 
hot, hot women. I'm going to go to Australia. So he goes there. Um, but like he's on his decision to make it. And the Rotary Club is like, OK, well, you can go, but you have to sign this paper that says you won't come back until your whole year is up. And he's like, I'm not signing anything because I don't know. He's some kind of macho man um, and is like, no, I'm going to I'm going to tell you on a handshake that I'm not coming back for a full year. And they're like, OK, whatever. So that, I don't know. That's the end of a first little section. He he agrees to go in a handshake and he says, you know, my word is good, which he does follow through with, you know, fine. So he's landing and he lands in Australia. We're in day one. Um, he gets there and he greets his exchange family um, first. Uh, they are very excited to see him, the Dooleys. Um, and they evidently it sounds like they appear to be interesting they're not <laughs> they're short he gives kind of a, a quick overview of how they look and i i don't know i think that kind of completes the whole feel because they are very different individuals so i feel like when you have the visual in your head i'm just gonna quick read it okay so meet norval norval that's his name that's crazy uh dually <laughs> five foot four 220 pounds mustache balding head and a bit of an english accent i would later come to find out was an affectation he used to appear more proper uh so there's a visual of him and then his wife marjorie um she has a white polyester dress with big green polka dots she's four foot ten so they are short individuals and using walker because of a kyphotic i'm probably doing that wrong kyphotic spinal deformity um which back then we'd have called a hunchback he says so they've got those two and then um they also have a son there with him <clears throat> um and i think that the son calls him my little brother because i think the son might be older than matthew it's very awkward the whole thing um i have to say as an exchange family i call zainab my exchange daughter now but like that is not the first thing i said to her i'm not trying to replace her family so uh, to me this whole situation the greeting seemed very awkward so he gets in the car with the dooleys they had said that they lived in um what sydney i think but then they're driving they're driving they're driving and they're they keep going and they like they get to a town and matthew like gets excited and they're like oh we're almost there we're not quite there but we're almost there and that keeps going on for like hours and hours um so finally they get to this place back of the woods in the middle of nowhere he's nowhere near what he thought he would be like surfing nothing he's near none of those things and he's just in the middle of nowhere and he's like okay this is where i'm gonna be and he like he i mean he seems to adopt kind of a a good i don't know ugh, attitude about the whole thing it could be worse but he adopts a good attitude about it um so that kind of ends his day one he arrives after many hours of flying and driving finally arrives um, where the Dooleys live, which was shit. I don't know somewhere in Australia. <laughs> Anyone? I don't remember exactly where. Um, no, it's like in the country. Yeah. Anywho, it was nowhere. They said nowhere. Yeah, it's literally nowhere. Um, and they're like, "You're gonna love it." So day four, he's we're scooting on in. He's uh, he's there and he's um, getting settled in and they're like, hey, we're going to have some family over. Um, we'd love it if you could make us something that is quintessentially American. 
And he's like, oh, yeah, I'd love to do that. Uh, what can I do? And he's like, let's have ha- hamburgers, American hamburgers. And Norval's like, great. And he's like, wait, no, I take that back. We're having cheeseburgers because the man who invented the hamburger was smart. But the man who invented the cheeseburger was a genius. So he starts writing down his grocery list. And then like Norval comes up and like politely taps him and is like, hey, could you come with me, please? And he takes him back to his office, which is going to become a recurring theme in Australia. Um, he takes him back to his office, sits him down, shuts the door and is like, hey, um, I have something to tell you. Like when you're living here, we're not going to offer our own opinions on things. Um, and he's Matthew's like, what? What do you mean? He's like, well, didn't you say uh, that the man who invented the hamburger is smart, smart, but the man who invented the cheeseburger was a genius. And Matthew McConaughey is like, yeah. And he's like, that's your opinion. You're going to learn to appreciate fine wine, fine cheeses and not voice your opinion for the masses. And Matthew tries to explain himself. And he's like, no, it's just this figure of speech. It just means I like cheeseburgers more than hamburgers. And Norval's like, no, no, no. Don't you offer your opinion. Um, and so he just chalks it all up this weird little thing to cultural differences. So I kind of feel like this, this is what I keep coming back to. And the whole thing when I'm trying to like pull something out of his Australia experience is that he's fairly open-minded for the most part. Like he accepts a lot of shit from this family and just takes it and is like, cultural differences. Fine, man. Like no problem. I can handle that. So I guess like, I support that. I'm good with that. (laughs) Um, But yeah, overall, the family is very strange. They have some weird things that keep going on. And I don't mean to be judgy, but I am being judgy because I like it as an exchange family. I would have never been like, do these things. And also like I I was just accepting. I was like, okay, this is your culture and you're you're living here with me, but I'm not going to try and change you like be you. Well, and isn't that like part of the cool part is you learn about somebody else's culture and kind of experience that. And the duallys are very much like, "Hmm, we're better than you. So this is how it needs to be done. Exactly. They're like, be my culture. Yeah. Yeah. Like you have so much to learn from us. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everything about the duallys makes me very uncomfortable. Yes. It's cringy. (laughs) I can't. I'm sorry. I said cringy. But whatever. Chuggy. Didn't we go over this already? Do we even do chuggy anymore? They probably say something else by now. Oh, Jesse's shaking your head. I don't get what that means. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't I don't honestly think the duallys are the most effed up part of the situation though. Wait, go, go on. on. <laughs> well, we haven't we haven't got there yet. That's I mean, you're right. There's some parts. We'll get there. We'll get there. Um yeah. I just realized that I'm supposed to do this next section too, so I'll, I guess I'll keep going. Um so day 8. Um I'm trying to remember. I have to remember what day it is. He's so he's there in Australia again. Okay, he's settled in. Um, so he's two weeks into his school curriculum, and he's like, eh, "This is boring." Um, and I think this is when they let me double check decide to be like, "Oh no, this isn't." Oh yeah, okay. So he's not doing so hot. They're like, um, "No, you're doing it wrong." Blah, blah, blah. And they're like, "Hey, how about you work?" instead like what if you do like um what it, like practicing going on different trades and just trying out different things instead of doing schoolwork and he's like yes that's what i want to do so he gets to 
um, go ahead and try out different jobs in a different country, which actually, personally, I think that would be very cool. Um, and what an opportunity. He's very lucky because like that could have, I mean, yeah, that just could have been crap for him. But he's just, you know, he's not he's not landing comfortably in the school at all. So this is kind of a, a good option for him. Um, so, yeah. So now he's getting to go work and get school credit instead. That's the end of my spot. <laughs> well, and he meets um, Connor Harrington, which oh, is right. a the manager, cool So that name will come back later. Yes, but. yes. Okay, so then he... Um, I don't know. He was a bank teller for a while. Mm-hmm. And that's where he met the dude, right? That you yep. just brought up, Lydia. Mm-hmm. And then he became a barrister's assistant. So he was in court all day. He was helping to write closing arguments, studying the jury, researching law history. Like this actually is, um, I don't know, seems kind of cool. Uh, also where he decided that he was going to become a vegetarian. And so his uh, menu of choice, I still can't get past. And trust me, we've talked about some of the things I cook. So the fact that I can't get past this, I feel like <laughs> that's a lot. Um, he would get heads of lettuce and then he would put ketchup on them. <laughs> like that's what he would eat. And that's weird. Uh, but and gross. Also, all, yeah, that too. He would also run six miles a day. Um now, someone who knows a little bit about nutrition and exercise, I don't know how he has any energy to run six miles if you're living off of lettuce and ketchup. Iceberg, even, I wonder. Oh, yeah, iceberg lettuce, which is cold water. Yes. Like, what's... This is all very yeah. weird. Um, so, anyway, he uh, made plans. He wanted to go to South Africa after the year's exchange. He wanted to free M- Nelson Mandela. Um, he was writing letters to his family. Um, okay. But he also always is chalking the stuff up to cultural differences. So that's, I guess, like Megan said, open-minded. Um, so then we get back to Norval and he said one night at dinner, he was eating his lettuce and ketchup at the dinner table with Norval, Marjorie, Michael, and Meredith. Okay, so Marjorie was the wife, Michael was the son, and then Meredith, I believe, is the girlfriend? Yes. Right? Okay, so then Norval stands up and, oh, this is the other word I hate when Matthew McConaughey says. He says, Matthew, you are young and immature American. And you will appreciate that during your stay in Australia and with us in this household, you will learn that mint jelly goes with lamb. What? What to all of this? The kids but doesn't it? <laughs> but still. The, the kids at your table eating a head of lettuce with ketchup. Like, what part? How are you so disconnected that you think now all of a sudden he's going to start eating meat? Like, I'm concerned about all of this. So they decided to have extended family over. Uh, to barbecue. No burgers this time. Marjorie called Matthew to the kitchen. Um, he said, Matthew, come here. Matthew, come here. He entered and the whole he saw the whole family. So aunts, uncles, cousins, there was 18 of them. They were lined up against the wall. And at the very end of the line was Meredith looking down. Um, so this is when Marjorie, who had been drinking wine all day, told Matthew to kiss Meredith on the lips. The what lippies. Is, 
the lippies. I didn't really get this part, but yeah. So then Matthew was like, I already said goodbye and I gave her a hug. And then Marjorie swooned. No, no, Matthew, go on now. Give her a kiss on the lippies. And um, he, I believe he confronted Meredith, right? Like he confronted her and he said, I already gave you a hug, didn't I, Meredith? And then she slowly nodded yes. And then... um, he went to Marjorie and he said, don't ever do that to me again. It is not fair. It's not fair to me. It's not fair to Meredith. And it's not fair to your son, Michael. And then he walked out of the room, finished the dishes and then thought, damn cultural differences. Excuse me. (laughs) No, no, that is more than cultural differences. That is awkward and weird. All of it. Yeah. Um, But like, at least he set a boundary. (laughs) I'm like literally grasping for him. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, he did stick up for, for Meredith. That was probably the Mm -hmm. right thing to do. So then, um, day 148, he's down to 140 pounds. His nose was constantly running. I love that. He had to add that in there. Um, for the last month, every night after dinner, he said he would go to the restroom, run a hot bath, um, show himself some self-love every single night. What a great way to say that. I love, I love that he added that in the book. That's great. That was the inside information we all needed, Matthew McConaughey. Mm-hmm. So he was on his sixth job. He'd been a bank teller, a boat mechanic, a photo processor, a barrister's assistant, a construction worker, and now he, oh, and an assistant golf bro. Um, so he was sitting back at the dinner table with his lettuce and his ketchup. Um, and then Norval says, Matthew, Marjorie and I have decided that for the duration of your stay here in Australia, you'll refer to us as mom and pop. And uh, Matthew said, thank you, Norval. Thank you for uh, thinking of me in that way. But I have a mom and dad and they're still alive. So he's here. He is setting another boundary because he ends up saying no. I am not going to call you mom and dad or mom and pop. Like I have my own parents. I'm uncomfortable and I'm not going to do it. So the next morning he wakes up and she is wailing. Marjorie, the mom is wailing from the bathroom, um, crying that, you know, he won't call me mom. And uh, he said he put his arm around her. Come on, Marjorie. It's not personal. How would you feel if your son, Michael, called someone else mom? And then he said we had a good cry together for different reasons. (laughs) (laughs) But that is when he decided that he was going to find another family to stay with for the duration of uh, his stay in Los Angeles. So this is where Connor comes in. Oh, Los Angeles. How yeah, did I get like, to Los Angeles? I don't Angeles? know where we went. <laughs> Guys, I don't know how I got to LA, but we're back You're to Australia. <laughs> okay, back to, back to Australia. Los Angeles has nothing to do with anything. Um, so then he goes up to Connor and uh, he met Connor at the bank and he's like, hey, this is not working out for me. Like, this is not good. So Connor stands up and basically says, um, Norval, thank you so much for welcoming Matthew into your home. But he is going to be staying with um with him correct for the rest of his stay um so then norval calls him back uh into is that the office or the bathroom and uh he says hey norval what's up and without flinching norval said matthew marjorie and i've decided that you will be staying with us for the duration of your stay in australia in this household with us unpack your bags so matthew mcconaughey loses himself and he takes his fist and he pops it right through the wall and um he said norval 
you get your fat fucking ass out of my way or I am going to beat you to the ground and drag you across your gravel driveway for so long that you're going to be pulling rocks out of your back until the day you fucking die. What an outlaw. (laughs) (laughs) Boundaries were set, but then I don't know. Then we we broke the fucking levee. Like, that's it. Yeah. Ain't enough beavers to fix that. (laughs) Um, So anyway, he did end up leaving. Uh, Everyone was hugging, um, you know, carrying on, sending their like they were sending their son off to join the army overseas. They're like acting. It's so funny how he's like one moment and he's like, nope, you're staying. And then outside they're like, oh, we love you. So crazy. Yeah. And I also appreciated that um, he said Meredith sobbed and uh, sobbed on her walker. Wept. She wept. Marjorie. Marjorie. Yes. So um, did I just have another Los Angeles moment there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, okay. I'll just keep going. Yeah, you could you could actually stop there because now it's Jesse's turn. Oh, uh, I wanted her to keep going. I'm no. like, she's covering it all. I she love was gonna it. Keep Thank going. You. you guys, I'll finish this whole fucking book today. I don't <laughs> I, care. I'll just I keep going. Yes. <laughs> um, so he makes a deal with um so Harris Stewart was the one that is in charge of Rotary that hooked him up with Connor Harrington, who he had already known from the bank, like you said. And he uh, hooks up with this other family and ends up kind of family jumping for then the rest of the duration of his time. And not because he wasn't getting along with families, but because he wanted more experience uh, with different families. And they finally get to the part where um, he, it was his last like night in Australia and he had already spent time with these other family, two or three other families and they would all get together and they would have these good old times. And um, they were watching Woody Allen's side effects. Does anybody know what that actually is? I have no idea. No idea. And they would watch it and laugh out loud and laugh their ass off. And they'd be drinking port wine until three in the morning and carrying on. And so at this very final, like, goodbye, um, they asked him, uh, Connor Harrington finally blurts out and asks him, like, how the hell did you last so long at the Dooley's? And like this whole just kind of like you motherfuckers knew the whole time. You knew the whole time that these people were crazy. Um, And then they just like all started laughing about it. And it was he called it the big Australian prank, which is what I find most fucked up. Like the Dooley's were fucked up, but who's more fucked up is the people that knew that they were messed up and still allowed them to have a kid, like a yes. foreign exchange student. Yes, That's true. Yes. I do agree. Cause and like he felt so out of control that he like had to control other parts of his life, like his diet yes. running six miles. Yes. I mean, like his life became so chaotic that he controlled whatever he could. I mean, like mm-hmm. for like half a year. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I remember getting to that point and being like, didn't they like vet this family? Like where was the background checks? Like we had to, we had to do all of that. And like, still I was like, Ooh, I mean, I think we're okay. But like, what if like owning a winery is not okay? Mm, I don't know. But I mean, shit, what the fuck? Yeah. Seriously. That was fucked up. Yeah, so I'm like, I know the Dooleys are the messed up, but they're not the most messed up people in this equation. I think the messed up people are the Rotary people who knew what they were doing anyway and still allowed it to happen. 
and also did no form of like checking in with him at any point to be like, Hey, how's your living situation? And like, I mean, it's very easy to like tell if someone's kind of maybe lying a little bit about how they feel about something. So anyway, um, he ends up going through this um, kind of spiel on how, you know, living with the Dooleys was a literal mental hell for him and that he had done gone through all of this because of a handshake deal that he made, but came to this realization that, you know, he needed to have this experience because in Texas, um, um, year, it was year round summertime is what he called it because he was handsome. He had straight A's. He had, it was dating the best looking girls, both in his town and out of his town. He had a truck was that was paid for. He had no curfew. And so he really was just living this kind of not really introspective life. He was never really thinking of himself cause he had no reason to, um, so to speak. Um, and so then he kind of, again, just comes to this notion that, um, that year had taught him that, you know, life's hard and shit happens and we make shit happen. Um, Um, To me, it was inevitable that I was staying the entire year because I had shaken on it. I made a voluntary obligation with myself that there was no going back. So I got relative. And so his way of being relative was to look inward. Um, Did anybody have anything else from that little segment? I I did highlight another part of that where he was like... um, it was a crisis. I just didn't give the crisis credit. I treaded water until I crossed the finish line. I persisted and I upheld my father's integrity. Well, okay. I was like, okay, fine. Like you did, you persisted and that's great. Um, I just wish you would have fucking said something to anybody, anybody. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't, it's great. But I also feel like that's just how he was raised. Like he was yeah. not raised a question or fall out of line. And so while he does chalk things up to cultural differences, I actually think it, he did it more as, because he was conditioned to do so. Mm-hmm. I don't know that he truly understood that until being like relative and retrospective after the fact. I think he was just living the life the way he knew to because he wouldn't have stepped out of line at home. Right. right. Totally. Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then he goes on a little bit of a rant being super jealous because the Dooley's son was in the exchange program as well. And so he ended up coming to America and living with Matthew's parents and they like did everything with this kid. So they took him to NASA, Six Flags. They took him to Florida to the summer, come to find out he was throwing like parties. Um, everybody loved his accent. He ended up taking Matthew McConaughey's ex-girlfriend out on dates in Matthew's own truck. Um, Um, and the liquor cabinet was drained. He said he had the time of his fucking life. And so just a little more bitter end to Michael's year in Australia was the fact that the exchange son at his home got to do all the things that he was hoping his trip was going to be about. That was a hilarious little, um, afterthought like while i was literally in hell their son (laughs) was living it up (laughs) (laughs) um and so he ends this little section uh, with a bumper sticker um called the monster uh and he says that the future is the monster not the boogeyman under the bed the past is just something we're trying to outrun tomorrow the monster is the future the unknown the boundaries not crossed yet the challenge not met yet and the potential not yet realized the dragon not yet tamed uh on a one-way collision course with no turning back the future the monster is always waiting for us and always sees us a coming so we should lift our heads look it in the eye and watch it heed 
I guess that sums up his Australia experience. Mm-hmm. God, we did it. We did it. <laughs> We're home. That's all I had, right? Am I good? Yeah. Now he's home and he's 19 and he's had his year in Australia and um, he's able to drink in America at this point under um, that age has not been raised yet. So he's with his dad and they stop at a pool hall and have a few beers and he meets a few of his dad's friends and, um, you know, kind of like listens to them tell their tall tales, jumps in. At some points, uh, they pay their bill. And as they're leaving, Matthew is ahead of his dad and a a bouncer stops his dad and is like, did you pay your bill? And without stopping, his dad's like, sure did, pal. And he continues walking. And the man like puts his hand out to stop his dad. And this is when um, Matthew just reacts without giving it much thought. And he says he's on top of this on this man and uh, he has him splayed across a table 15 feet back inside the bar. 15 feet, guys. And um, he's pounding on him and beating him up and people have to pull him off of him. And uh, it's not until he hears his dad say, that's enough, son. That's enough. That he actually stops. So. This is his point when he has his rite of passage with his dad, where um, he's now his dad's equal. His dad has let him in um, and they have become friends. And then so after this, um, he's a part of all the stories. He's a part of all these all this relationships with these men that his dad is uh, friends with. And his dad says, um, the youngest one's going to be okay, boys. You should have seen him take this big old boy out last night at the bar just decked him we got to keep an eye on him though he's got a berserker switch he's a little bit crazy so he is just you know very happy that he's finally reached this point where he is um a part of his of his dad's life and not just like you know his youngest kid like he's he's an equal he's in the hall of random well, yeah <laughs> yes Eat. yep um, and then he's got a a, a little portion here that says, S- sometimes we find our frequency by holding on to a moral bottom line in the midst of chaos. Sometimes we find it by breaking the rules and running the red light to get home. And I mean, I think both of those apply to what he's talked about in this part. I mean, the Australia, he really tries to like toe the line and be respectful until he can't be anymore. And he, you know, he's, he's like breaking the rules there of how he was raised. And I mean, it was a nice closure. I thought. So I have something to add on this. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the, the thought was fleeting in my brain. So I, I hope I can pull it back here for a second, but, um, I went through a little situation this weekend that kind of made me think about this whole uh, that deal here, because sometimes in life you have the way you think things are going to go and then people throw rules at you, but they're not your rules and they're not your maybe values or morals or, or maybe it's not that serious. Maybe it's just they're not your rules. So then I think that's when. And I think that's what Matthew is trying to say is those are the moments 
that we either acquiesce to what somebody else wants and forget who we are, or we set up the boundary and we withhold the boundary to what we think is correct. Mm-hmm. And I am smack dab in the middle of that situation. (laughs) Yeah, it's I mean, boundaries are so fucking hard to hold up, especially when it's like people you care about, whether they be your family or somebody you just you care about your the way that they see you holding a boundary up can be so fucking difficult because like you care about how they feel but also like you have to protect you know your rules or yourself or your heart whatever um so like i like i said in the beginning i do think he did a good job with the boundaries like i mean he constantly seemingly said like you know no i won't do that this is how this is how i was raised or whatever and like when it wasn't that important he could just chalk it up to cultural differences and be like Mm -hmm. okay so yeah i don't know can we take a moment though for how tough that would have been for someone matthew mcconaughey's age and i i don't even hate to give him credit for this because i don't think i could have held up those boundaries in a different country with a different family at his age no like Mm -hmm. that took some balls and is he doing peyote in the desert because of trauma yeah maybe (laughs) <laughs> maybe we maybe we wait maybe we understand maybe. that now <laughs> yeah seriously yeah i don't no, know that would have been sure tough. yeah i mean especially at that age because i feel like you're just so impressionable and trying to yeah try, you're trying to figure out who you are and like how could you possibly be so firm on a boundary you know like <laughs> I think the most the firm thing I was like had for a boundary when I was 18 was that I was probably a Democrat and I was for a, abortion rights. <laughs> That's pretty much it. And then after that, I didn't fucking know who I was. And you could probably step all over my boundaries. I mean, I'm 33 and still trying to hold boundaries. So I don't know at what point to get good at it. Mm, yeah. I think it's a practice. It's one of those things you just have to keep doing. It's like, you don't just, it doesn't become second nature. It becomes a thing that you have to actively put yourself into. Right. And and also, you know, you might have boundaries you didn't have two years ago because of something happening in your life. And you're like, nope, Mm -hmm. that's never going to happen again. Yeah. So, truth. I mean, we're always growing in that way, I think. I don't know. I'm 37 now and I finally... In the last like two years can hold people to boundaries that I never would have been able to do before. So mm-hmm. yeah. Snaps to that. Good on you, girl. <laughs> yeah. Well did we do it? We made That's it to it. part three. Yeah. yeah, we're gonna next time we'll start part three. Um I don't even remember what part three is. What's it called? Dirt roads and autobots. Oh boy. This mm-hmm. is when he goes to Hollywood, right? Yeah, and and uh, Europe. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we'll pick it up in a week. Woo, woo. 